0: Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. Hello, it's great to have your company. Well, the Supreme Court of the United States did what many of us thought would never happen in our lifetime. It overturned Roe v. Wade. About half of the states in the United States are now free to follow the wishes of the majority of their people and protect the lives of unborn children and their mothers. To unpack what it all means, I spoke with two of Australia's best pro-woman and pro-life advocates, Monica Dumit and Rachel Wong. Well, it's great to have your company this afternoon. I'm joined by Rachel Wong, the CEO of Women's Forum Australia, and Monica Dermott, uh, the Public Affairs Officer at the Archdiocese of Sydney, the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney. Uh, these two women are fantastic pro-life people, and we wanted to have a discussion this afternoon uh, about the bombshell decision from the supreme court of the united states last week wasn't totally a bombshell it had been leaked a few weeks ago uh but uh the roe versus wade decision from 1973 has been overturned and we want to have a bit of a chat just to help people understand what this means and what it means for the pro-life movement in australia so uh ladies uh thank you so much for joining us um monica perhaps we might start with you um just uh help us unpack the significance of what Uh, happened last week when this decision came down.
1: Thanks, Alam. Great to be on uh, on your show. Uh, Well, as you mentioned, uh, there was – the the document had been leaked and so people were preparing for it, but still I think the gravity of the decision actually being handed down was a bit of a bombshell. Um, Essentially what happened is 50 years ago a case went before the Supreme Court of the United States – where those judges decided that there was a, a right to abortion in the first two trimesters and that no state could provide limits on that. So they took, 50 years ago, the Supreme Court took the decision making power out of the states and, you know, out of essentially the hands of the people and put it right into the hands of the court and said that abortion is right up to the second trimester um, across all of the states. What this judgment did was basically correct that error Mm. and just say look they were wrong to decide that this is a matter for state legislative bodies not for the supreme court so the decision on what to do with abortion has been returned to each state and their elected officials and then through them to the people because it's the people who vote in or out um, the elected officials
0: yeah. And, and, and Rachel, you've got a bit of a, a legal background um, and Monica's mentioned some of this. This decision, uh, despite some of the sensational media headlines from uh, from those on the sort of progressive end of the media spectrum, doesn't mean the end of abortion in the United States, does it?
2: No, that's right. Contrary to the media hype and like Monica's alluded to, what it means is that um abortion is now not recognized as a a constitutional right in the U.S. It is um, still legal in in many states, Uh, I think in all states actually uh, to a certain degree, Um, and going forward it'll be regulated very much like it is in Australia where it's sort of on a state-by-state basis. Um, And I think going back to what Monica said in terms of the decision being Um, the Roe been overturned and it being found that there is not a constitutional right to abortion. I think it's very important to kind of point out that when people are sort of saying, you know, women have now been robbed of this constitutional right, it's very important to actually point out that it never was a right in the first place. And that's what this new decision um, has found, and has corrected. And actually for decades, legal scholars across the political and ideological spectrum have actually agreed that this is the case. So while um, some of the more progressive or pro-choice Uh, legal scholars may have liked the practical outcome of Roe, Um, they're very much in agreement that actually the decision was very flawed and finding that there is a constitutional right to abortion is just not correct. Mm. Um,
0: We were talking a moment ago off air that this decision has been, you know, almost 50 years in the making. Uh, I think many of us thought we would never see the end of Roe v Wade. Um, Monica, what does this say about uh, the persistence of the pro-life movement in America?
1: Well, it's funny I was reading up on uh, Nellie Gray who was who founded the March for Life that occurs in Washington DC every year um, on the anniversary of the Roe decision. And when she held the, the very first March for life in January 1974, she thought that it would just be a one-off event. She thought that Congress would see the obvious error in the decision from the Supreme Court so that they would have this march and then and then Congress would, uh, would pass legislation that would correct it. Um, they didn't have any idea when they started the fight that it would be one that was going to run for fifty years. Uh, I think Nellie passed away about ten years ago, so she didn't actually get to see this day happen. But all of those people who were involved in the pro-life movement um, in the lead-up to Roe, and then in the you know in the decades after, in particular, they fought with no real tangible results on the other side. If anything, you know, society's opinion got worse, the the politics got worse, everything sort of downgraded. I think really the lesson for us is we have to dig in in the same way. I mean, the the extreme abortion laws that passed here in New South Wales only passed in 2019, and, and Victoria, I think, which sort of kicked off the round of extreme abortion laws around the country, was 2008. We still have potentially decades of this fight to go, generations of this fight to go. And all of us on this call um, and all of those sort of watching or listening may not get to see the fruits of, of our pro-life efforts. But the point is that we need to dig in because if we don't, generations still to come won't actually know that there's a fight to be had.
0: Yeah, it's no, a really good point, Monica. I think many many of us who uh, are pro-life and pro-women uh, felt that this was intractable. So to see this uh, change um, in our lifetime is incredible, it should give us all hope. Um, Rachel, um, much of the media reporting here in, in Australia has characterised this as this is just polarised US politics that we don't want to import here. And, and it's, it paints the issue of abortion as a self-evident good and how backward it is that America, you know, seems to have uh, wound back so-called abortion rights. but. We don't hear a lot of debate about the impact of um, abortion on on women you're CEO of Women's Forum Australia. Can you tell us a bit about that side of the debate and the discussion that, which is just missing from the public discourse?
2: Yeah, so I'd firstly say, Lyle, that I think part of the reason why we don't see a lot of that is precisely because there has been this idea that there's this entrenched right to abortion. And obviously that that is in the US, but like with a lot of US American culture, that sort of gets imported down here to Australia and to other countries as well. And this idea that there's this um, inherent right for a woman to have an abortion has meant that we actually aren't able to address things like sex selective abortion, um, domestic violence and abortion coercion, uh, abortion, abortive, abortion um, grief, because if we address those things, it's sort of seen as kind of, I guess, taking away from that right or impinging on that right. And there have certainly been feminist scholars over the years who have actually explicitly said, like, it's actually better not to address these things so as not to actually um, infringe on the right to abortion. So what I'm hoping is that now that this decision has been made and we can sort of, um, I'm hoping that it can kind of be corrected in our culture that there isn't actually a, a right to abortion um, and that over time this will lead to different treatment um, when it comes to pregnant women and their unborn children as well. But especially allowing us to look at some of these more difficult issues where, um, you know, for example, with um, intimate partner violence, where I think the research shows up to one in five women undergo abortions because of those situations. And having this sort of idea that abortion is a right and that it's a good thing and that it's a choice kind of glosses over that and, prevents us from dealing with those kinds of issues and a whole lot of other issues as well whether it be poverty or um, things that don't allow women to um, actively participate properly you know in the workplace or, or able to study without actually um, Sorry, with, with children in tow, I guess yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah. What what do you think, Rachel?
0: Can be done to help um, better educate, uh, particularly those in the media, to help them realise, you know, th- those statistics you quoted about intimate partner violence being a, a massive factor in whether a woman has an abortion or not. I mean, this goes way beyond just the, the mantra of choice and abortion being about healthcare. I mean, it's it's a really superficial debate that we have here. How, how can how can we address that and provide better understanding?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's like, it's a complete contradiction um, in relation to the idea that abortion is something that promotes women's choice and autonomy. And I guess a lot more research needs to be done um, in this area. And I think, again, the reason why it hasn't been is because abortion is a very political issue. Uh, and I think, you know, we actually need to listen to the stories of women who have been victims of domestic violence and then gone on to seek abortions or women who have um, sought abortions because, you know, they don't have financial resources to um, themselves or they, um, you know, child kids too expensive, housing is too expensive, whatever these things are. I think it's important that the research is done, that we listen to the stories of these women um, and don't try and just gloss over them because it's inconvenient to the idea that abortion is supposed to be a woman's right.
0: Yep. yep. No, well said. Um, Monica, you mentioned earlier that in the United States, um their abortion laws were actually quite restrictive, uh, even even under Roe v. Wade. Uh, certainly late, late-term abortion um, was not allowed. I think there was, a, um, there was laws passed, I think, back in about 2006 or seven, uh, banned late-term abortion. But a lot of Australians don't realise that our state parliaments have actually passed some of the most extreme abortion laws on the planet. Abortion to birth in, as you said, Victoria, uh, New South Wales, South Australia joined recently, Queensland uh, in 2018, uh, Tasmania. Um, why is there a need, why do you think that Australian politicians felt that they had to legislate abortion and make it available all the way to birth?
1: That's a really good question. I think that there's only something like five other countries in the world that allow um, abortion until birth, including um, some regimes that commit very, you know, troubling human rights abuses against its own, their own citizens. Um, so I I think that there's, uh, to, to take what Rachel was saying a little bit, that it needs to be an all or nothing approach because if you want to characterize abortion as something that's just routine healthcare in the same way as a dental procedure or something else, then there shouldn't be limits. Once you start talking about limits, you s- you have to, you know, whether consciously or not, admit that there's an issue there, admit that what is happening is that a human life is being terminated. And so I think that um, part of the reason is I think that they didn't want to um, put limits on it because it it would be conceding that it's a moral question. But the other thing that I think also happened is that We didn't have enough politicians standing up to argue the case. If you can, if the person promoting the abortion legislation, say Alex Greenwich here in New South Wales, if he had the votes that he needed, why would you seek to place any limits on it? There's this sort of nasty winner-takes-all approach, um, my Archbishop Archbishop Fisher said, which was, that's exactly right. If you don't have to compromise on these issues, then... They don't seem to. They don't seem to want to.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. I think if most Australians uh, were following the debate a bit closer, uh, I think we, we all know that public opinion certainly doesn't favour abortion to birth. Yet the law allows it. And, and look, I, I can see that it's it is very rare. But but why should the law allow? it? And as you said, um, uh, well, once you start putting in limits, then you've got to start. Uh, deciding well, where do you draw the line? And that creates all sorts of intellectual problems for people. So it is all or nothing. Rachel, um, it, at Women's Forum Australia, wh- what are you doing then to try and help um, uh, shift the discussion uh, back to uh, the, the needs of women and to get this as a more women-centred discussion? And, and how can the debate be shifted more to... Are providing support for women with unsupported pregnancies so that it's not just all about this mantra of choice. So that there's actually a real choice given to those uh, who might um, want to keep their babies.
2: Yeah, and I guess we've always tried to highlight, um, you know, whether it be um, in the public discourse or or with politicians, that abortion is often not a woman's choice for the reasons that I mentioned before. And so it's really important to actually... Work to address some of those things so that women have, you know, genuine choice, genuine autonomy, um, and sort of, I guess, doing this in a way that is very, you know, is sensitive and is non-judgmental because the obviously it is a sensitive topic and it is a it is a hard one. And last thing we want to do is to, you know, um, to polarize people or to, um, I guess hurt women further especially women who have you know been through abortions who have been you know have been in desperate circumstances and who really genuinely felt like they've had no other choice so i think what's really important is opening up a discussion now continuing this discussion doing it in a way that's compassionate and sensitive and recognizing the um the deficiencies in our systems and deficiencies i i honestly think are there because abortion has been so readily easy to access you know i think if abortion hadn't been sort of viewed as a right um and it, and even though it's different here it is sort of still viewed as a right as well if it hadn't been seen in that way i think there would have been a lot more incentive for um you know governments employers and so on to actually address some of these issues rather than just using abortion as a solution you know to the inequalities that women face and so um i think it's just yeah really important to continue with that discussion and to kind of really, um, I guess, combat the rhetoric that abortion is always a woman's choice because the option
0: is not. Yeah. No, that's great, Rachel. Yeah, obviously the education side of things. Um, We started, uh, and Monica, you started uh, this discussion talking about the activism uh, that has gone on Quite faithfully in the US for decades. Uh, here in Australia, we do have marches for life. They're much smaller than the big one in Washington DC. But you've been involved in the Sydney march here for years. Tell our audience about that and the importance of, of activism and what they can do to continue to be involved to to really um, you know leverage uh, this you know cultural moment that we're in uh, to advance this cause of pro of uh, of support for the woman and support for the unborn baby.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, look, the first thing I'll I'll say, Lal, is that the March for Life in the US had small numbers for the first sort of 20, 25 years as well. And so it really did take in itself a generation uh, for that to for that to explode. Um, And I believe the same will happen here, hopefully sooner. Uh, The the Marches for Life, uh, like the one that occurs in Sydney, the March for the Babies, I think in Victoria and other places around the country, do a couple of things first they're a reminder so they're a public reminder that while abortion might be legal that it doesn't mean that it's right that it's a it also me it also provides um a public show to the women uh that that rachel's been talking about to say that there are people here who will support you like there are some amazing um pro-life communities out there that will provide T- real tangible support to women facing crisis pregnancies, um, whether that's emergency accommodation, healthcare, psychological care, um, assistance with you know, studies or, or other things like that. There's, there's lots of help out there. And sometimes it's hard to see them if they're hidden. So it's nice to, for those groups to be able to be out um, and on display. And also it's a great community event. Uh, sometimes people with pro-life use can feel like they're the only ones who hold them and so actually seeing thousands of people come together saying that we support a right to life and that it's not it's not contradictory um to supporting women as well That actually we can do both we can hold a pro-woman and a pro-life position uh simultaneously i think that that's what these um these types of public displays uh really do and look i'm I'm with rachel i think it's the pro-life movement that really does provide women with choice um, rather than the pro abortion movement.
3: Yeah,
0: well said. Well, look, you've both been very generous with your time this afternoon. I really appreciate you coming on to speak to uh, both the live audience and the, the podcast audience. Thanks for helping us unpack uh, what is a, a huge cultural moment uh, for the pro life movement and um, helping us understand that and what we can do going forward. So, Rachel Wong, CEO of Women's Forum Australia, and Monica Dermott from the Sydney Archdiocese, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you, you.
0: Well, Family 1st re-entry into politics has caused a Liberal candidate to publicly take a more compassionate line on abortion to birth. Speaking at a Meet your Candidates forum for the Adelaide state seat of Bragg this week, the Liberal candidate, Jack Batty, distanced himself from his predecessor, Vicky Chapman's hardline stance on abortion to birth.
2: Well, I am uh, more
0: socially progressive um, on these types of issues. Um, than probably many people in this room Um, and I agree with Alice that this is best um, thought of in the health space than the criminal law space. Um, I do think when it comes to late-term abortions though um, we need to make sure it's appropriately regulated and we balance interests of um, the pregnant woman uh, and uh, the unborn child Um, to ensure it's only happening in extraordinary
2: circumstances.
0: Now, this is a big shift from many of his Liberal colleagues who last year took the extraordinary step of voting with Labor and the Greens to defeat amendments to restrict late-term abortions which were made legal all the way to birth. It's good to see a Liberal candidate who describes himself as progressive, i.e. that means pro-abortion, pro-same-sex marriage and pro-gender fluidity, recognising there should at least be some limits to the killing of unborn babies. Chapman, a former Liberal Deputy Premier, triggered the by-election by resigning from Parliament shortly after being re-elected at the March general election. She was one of the the key drivers of the abortion-to-birth bill. Now, Batty's comments followed Family First candidate Daryl McCann's explanation of one of the reasons he decided to run in March and again in this Saturday's by-election.
3: It was the abortion to birth legislation uh, that went through in South Australia in 2021 uh, that made me think I wouldn't be able to vote um, for Vicky. She's a lovely lady, very charming. She's done a lot of good things, but I realized um, I had to have that break with the Liberal Party.
0: Daryl McCann also reminded the audience that it was the taking of for granted of social conservatives by both major parties that prompted former Labor Ministers, Tom Kenyon and Jack Snelling, along with former Liberal Deeper Matthew to re-establish the Family First political party.
3: The party, the Family First party, which um, uh, existed before, but was re-founded. Um, and I think it's very interesting the way it was re-founded by uh, Jack Snelling and Tom Kenyon, two uh, ministers in uh, the Weatherall government and the government before then, um, they also had problems um, with the fact that the Liberal Party takes Conservatives' vote for granted and Labor, uh, this might be the exception, (laughs) Uh, Labor, sorry Alice up there, uh, Labor takes um, it doesn't even bother with um, Conservative vote and it was very interesting that these two guys um they must have lost all their friends because it is a little bit like being in a cult being in the, in the labor party they they left it bravely in July 2021 and they uh, worked with Deepa who was a liberal Person. Now McCann, a local
0: high school history teacher and writer for Quadrant and The Spectator, is the only candidate who stood in March who is backing up again for Saturday's by-election. He's the only local that's standing, with the others hailing from outside the electorate. Now Batty is a former staffer for progressive, i.e., pro-abortion, pro-same-sex marriage, liberal fe- federal parliamentarians Christopher Pine and George Brandis. Labor's Alice Rolls and the Greens' Jim Bastirus both told the forum that they backed South Australia's abortion to birth laws. Family First is calling on voters this Saturday to send a message to Labor, Liberal and the Greens that that the votes of people who hold socially conservative views about the family and human rights for the unborn should not be taken for granted. I'll give Daryl the last word.
3: We would cause a sensation around Australia to bring in a family first candidate for a brag. We would be known all around Australia, uh, with the focus would be on us. It, it really would cause a political earthquake. So let's do it everybody.
0: <laughs> That's it for this week. Don't forget, if you live in Victoria, go to our website, familyfirstparty.org.au and sign up to become a member. We need at least 500 to register with the Victorian Electoral Commission. We've got more than that, but we need a big, healthy buffer. So this is so that we can stand candidates who will be strong voices for life, family, freedom and faith at this November's election. Well, thanks so much to Aidan and Dave at The Good Source News for production and editing of my podcast. I really appreciate it. Until next week, stay engaged with politics.